This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 29. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell from the Build Wealth Canada show, and thanks for joining me on this episode. Now, this episode is a big yeah. I'm actually going to split it into two parts as there's really a lot to cover. And I've literally pulled together the newest numbers of what you can expect from your investments. Now, these are based on actual historical returns using several different highly reputable sources that I actually personally use and trust. And so this isn't really some subjective opinion on what one person thinks you'll get on your investments. Instead, it's an actual, it's actual data, it's actual studies and reports that reputable sources in the industry have put together. And it's basically what I personally you. So that's really what we're going to go over in this episode. Now, before we get into that, though, I do have a really big announcement to make, and that is that the investing guide is finally ready. So if you've been listening to the show for a while, then you know that one of the questions that I get asked most often by listeners of the show is one, either how to actually get started in investing here in Canada. And two, for those Canadians who have already been investing, the question that sort of inevitably comes up with them is how to transition to low cost investments like ETFs to basically eliminate these ridiculously high fees that you're likely paying paying in your mutual funds and other investment products. Now, often this happens to Canadians I found who basically started investing in mutual funds years ago, usually, you know, through their bank, for example. And then as the years went by, you know, you start kind of hearing about how Canada has some of the highest mutual fund fees in the world. You know, you notice that the returns you get end up being much lower than what your sort of index investing friends are getting because of these fees. And so you kind of learn how these fees will eventually end up costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your investing lifetime. And so eventually you sort of see the light and you decide to switch over to doing index investing yourself, which is actually really easy to do once you know how. Now, you know, the problem up until now has been that while there are definitely some great books and blog posts out there, there really isn't any sort of in-depth step-by-step video guide that shows you how to actually do everything from beginning to end. And so after really constantly being asked by listeners of the show about how to properly invest, how I actually do it, I decided to actually create the first video training course made specifically for Canadians, where you actually get to see a recording, you get to look over my shoulder and see exactly how to actually invest every month. So you'll basically see exactly where I go, you'll see where to click and how to really avoid some of the most common and critical mistakes made by Canadians when they start investing. And on top of that, you'll basically get full access to all the tools and resources that I personally use when I invest every single month. So you don't have to do any sort of complicated math yourself and you don't have to go and build your own spreadsheets as I've basically built everything for you. And I've basically automated all the complicated parts for you too. So, you know, if you're not a kind of a big math person or a big spreadsheet person, you don't actually need to be uh, to be able to do this because all the tools are there and it's all automated. So that's that. And you also get unlimited support directly from me in case you have any questions and you get an entire two months to try out the entire course risk-free. So you can check out the course by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash invest. And it's actually temporarily discounted right now as well. So you can basically lock in a discount before the price goes up and you actually have an entire two months, like I said, to check out the entire course risk-free. So I'm sure you'll love it. And once again, you can learn more about it at buildwealthcanada.ca slash invest. All right. Now let's get started talking about the returns. So to start things off, keep in mind that 
the historical performance numbers that I'm going to share with you don't really change much from year to year. So what we're looking at are long-term historical returns here. So looking back at, let's say, the last 50 years, other sources go back as far as the early 1900s. So whether you're listening to this podcast now or a year from now or five years from now, this episode is basically still going to be a good gauge to give you a general idea of what returns to expect because obviously a few years into the future isn't going to skew the average when we're looking at such a long time period, okay? Also, these numbers do get updated every year by the sources that I use. So if you go to the show notes at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 29, so just the number 29, I basically have the links for you there where you can download the newest reports from all the different sources. So you can basically see all the details, see how they got those numbers and all of that. And I'll try to remember to update them every year for you too because these sources you know, do release these every single year. So if you're listening to this podcast, let's say years from now, you, know, you can still go there to get the latest reports. And if I forget for whatever reason, just reach out to me however and in whatever way you want. And I'll basically go and I'll update the links for you to make sure that you always have the latest numbers. But like I said, you know, when we're looking at these long periods of, you know, 50 years, 100 years, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast a year after it's been published, you know, that one year isn't really going to make a difference, even if, you know, even if you're listening to this podcast five years from now. Okay. All right, now a couple caveats before we begin. So first, when I talk about historical returns, I'm talking about returns that you would have gotten historically if you invested in the market as a whole. In other words, I'm assuming that you're basically buying indexes as an index investor and that you're basically not a stock picker, okay, where you're just picking a select few individual stocks because you think they're going to go up in value for whatever reason, okay? Now, obviously, you can try gambling on some penny stocks, for example, where you can make a lot more than what the market gets or you could lose it all. But, you know, here we're talking about the type of investing that I personally do and that I recommend other Canadians do, which is index investing by basically buying ETFs. And that stands for exchange traded funds. And so when you when we're doing that, we're buying entire markets with basically extremely low fees. So, for example, one of the things we do is we buy the entire Canadian market instead of trying to pick and choose the right stock. So, you know, we're not reading financial state. We don't have to read financial statements and analyze you know, which Canadian company we think is going to make some breakthrough and, and their stock price is going to shoot up and which one we think is going to fail. You, you basically bypass that whole stock analysis, individual stock analysis portion. Now, I buy these indexes by buying ETFs because they are the least expensive way to buy the entire markets. And so if you buy investments this way, then you will most closely match these typical market returns. Now, I'm sure that there are some Canadians listening to this episode where when I say, for example, that the Canadian stock market returned approximately 8.9% on average per year, they'll say, okay, well, that's rubbish because their mutual kind of fund salesperson who calls themselves an advisor told them that they are investing in the entire market like this too. And so why are their returns so much lower than this year over year over year? Well, one of the biggest and most critical factors that lower your return is actually the fees that you pay. So think about it. Let's use the Canadian stock market as an example. So every month, one of the ETFs that I buy is one that represents the Canadian stock market, okay? So I'm basically paying around $20 to buy one share of an ETF that consists of hundreds of companies that make up 95% of the Canadian market, okay? Now, the fee that I pay on that as of today is 0.05%. And plus with the discount broker that I choose, that I chose, I get to buy that ETF for free. So I'm not paying the $10 per trade sort of commission that some of the other places charge, okay? Now, in contrast to that, the average mutual fund in Canada will charge between 2.3 to 2.5% in fees. So if we go with the sort of more conservative 
conservative number, so let's say 2.3%, that that's still basically 46 times more than what I pay in fees. So you're basically paying 2.3% in fees instead of 0.05% in fees, which is basically 4,500% more in fees, okay? So those are some pretty ridiculous, crazy savings, and it's really no wonder why so many Canadians switch to this form of investing once they actually learn how massive these fees are, okay? Now, let's say you own a mutual fund in Canada that holds the entire market just like I do. So now let's say that the Canadian market grows by 8.9%, which is sort of the average nominal return that we can expect for Canada based on historical performance, okay? All right, so let's say you hold a mutual fund that charges 2.5%, which is sort of the average you know, mutual fund fee in Canada. Then you didn't earn what the markets earn, which is 8.9%. You have to subtract that 2.5% fee. So you actually only made basically 89 which is the where the market return, minus 2.5%, which is the fee, and that equals 6.4%. So you basically you got 6.4%, as a return instead of the 8.9% that the market would have gotten you, all right? So that's a pretty big difference. So think about that for a sec, 6.4% versus 8.9, okay? Pretty pretty big difference. Now, with the ETF that I buy, for example, I'm only paying 0.05 in fees. So if we subtract by taking the 8.9% that the market grew, and we subtract that 0.05% that I pay in fees, so now the return that I get after, after all the fees is 8.85%. So now you basically just earned eight, an 8.85% return instead of the 6.4% that you would have earned if you instead went with this high fee mutual fund. All right, so what do these percentages actually mean? Aren't they small anyways? Like for example, 2.3%, 2.5% fees. That seems pretty small when we compare it to other sort of financial things we see out there, like 18% that we see on, on credit card debt, for example. But you know, let's look at the actual numbers. So if I have, let's say, a $100,000 portfolio, well, with the fees that I'm personally paying right now, I'm basically paying $146 per year in fees on a portfolio that is $100,000, okay? So not, not too shabby, $146 for $100,000 dollar portfolio, you know, not too bad. And I'll gladly pay that all day long since basically with ETFs like this, it lets me buy thousands of companies across the entire world for 20, 30, $40 instead of buying thousands of companies one by one individually, where, you know, even the, the price of one share of one of those companies might be well over $40, for example. Okay. Now with the mutual fund, a common fee is around 2.5%, like I already said. So that's basically $2,500 per year that you're paying in fees on a $100,000 portfolio compared to the $146 that you could be paying by basically buying these low cost ETFs. So in other words, that's an extra $2,354 per year that you're paying in fees. And it's that, that's how much more you're paying than you really have to, okay? So really, no wonder the returns are so horrible because basically the fees are getting taken off right off the top. Now, that money is being taken out of your portfolio to pay for the fees, whether the markets do good or not. So that money, that big giant pot of money, that $2,354, for example, it's no longer in portfolio. It went towards fees. So it's no longer growing to let you basically potentially retire even earlier. All right, so this is why you should really care about the fees. And this is why I basically built the course because one, I kept being asked to do it. And two, it basically blew my mind how few Canadians knew about this and, and are getting basically destroyed on these fees and then wondering why they aren't earning as much as their on their investments like everyone else who's, let's say, an index investor, okay? Now, this may sound like I'm going off on a tangent here or I'm digressing a bit because I'm supposed to be talking about the returns that you can expect to get. And so then why am I talking about fees? But really, you know, I'm not digressing because the main question that we're covering in this episode is what can I expect 
my returns to be. And easily one of, if not the biggest factors that impacts the returns that you'll get isn't whether you put 50% in stocks or, or 60% in stocks, but instead it's how much you actually pay in fees. All right, so let's say that you know about the high mutual fund fees here in Canada, and so instead, you decided to go for a robo-advisor service, for example, which basically buys the index for you as well. Now, in this case, while it's great that you basically dodged a bullet by not getting caught and buying these really high-fee mutual funds, keep in mind, too, that robo-advisors companies do charge more in fees than if you're doing it yourself by buying ETFs, like I do, for example. You know, so after all, you know, the, you know, they're, they're not charities, they're trying to, you know, they're not trying to help you for free, you know, they are businesses, and then basically, what they do is you know they offer you a service and in exchange they basically charge you fees so you know when you're looking at fees and where to invest you know I really like to break it down into three categories so you know the first category that you can go with is the the high fee mutual funds like I already said where you're basically getting charged that 2.3 2.5 percent in fees and you know this is where a lot of Canadians fall into just because they don't know about how significant these fees are and they don't know about the other options that are available to them out there they just sort of you know go to their bank because that's convenient that's where they've always gone they tell them they have some money to invest and you know the bank or, or whoever just takes care of them can sort of from beginning to end and they don't really realize that you know these massive fees that they're paying on the back end okay now you know so this particular category basically of investing I would never really recommend to anyone just because there are much cheaper options out there so sure you miss it on the convenience of just you know giving your bank or a giant sack of money and letting them do everything for you you know but the upside is that you can easily save hundreds of thousands of dollars in investing fees over your lifetime you know by sort of learning a few things first. So I'm personally okay with basically foregoing the convenience to save such a large amount of money over my lifetime. Okay. And, and I think you should be too. All right. So the second option is the middle ground where you're still paying more in fees than you have to than if you were to do it yourself, but you may or may not get some convenience for paying those extra fees. So, so this is where I put in investing options such as using a robo advisor or for example, Tangerine or using the TDE series funds. So, you know, in these cases, you're still paying, I would say a lot more than if you were to do it all yourself, but at least you might get some conveniences and it can make things extremely easy to invest depending on which option you choose. So in this case, you still can't assume that you're getting the same return as in the market because the fees are still gonna eat away at your returns. So you know, don't be upset when you get your annual statement and you notice that your returns are lagging compared to a friend that just does investing themselves by buying ETFs. But you know, the upside is that you know, by going, for example, with a, one of the robo-advisor companies out there, you basically sort of get an easy button is, is kind of what I like to call it. So in other words, you don't have to spend a few hours hours learning how to do it yourself. You kind of get your hand held a little bit. They assist you a lot. A lot of it is automated. And so, you know, really the convenience factor is there. Yes, you're paying a premium, but you're getting some convenience out of it. So I personally wouldn't use services like that myself. I mean, I don't have anything against them, but I personally wouldn't use them myself because I find it's really ridiculously easy to just invest the money yourself and save on all those fees. But I totally get it if someone is just looking for that mass convenience, they don't want to learn something new and are willing to basically pay a premium for that extra level of service. So ultimately, you won't be able to retire as early as if you were to do it yourself because of the extra fees. But for some Canadians, that's a worthy trade-off. And I'm glad that at least now that option exists for Canadians. 
All right, and the third option is basically to do it yourself. So this is where you'll basically pay the lowest fees if you do it properly. And it gives you the highest probability of being able to retire early compared to the other two options because, like I said, fees have some of the biggest impact on your returns. And obviously, the higher your returns, the bigger your, your nest egg grows and the earlier you can retire, okay? Now, some medium blogs make it sound like this is really hard to do. And this is really because before I made really the investing guide, there wasn't really a resource that you could go to where you can see a video recording of how to do everything step by step. And so you instead had to basically read a bunch of books and articles. You had to try to piece it all together about what to do from the many different sources, which is basically what I had to do when I was first starting off. And you basically have to hope that you didn't miss anything or you didn't mess something up when you go and you go and you do your first trade. And so, you know, that's really why I made the investing course, because I kept getting asked how to actually invest yourself to bypass all these fees by listeners of the show. And so, you know, instead of constantly having one-on-one consultations with Canadians and then showing this to them and helping them, on, you know, how to do it, this way, there's actually a guide that I can just point all the listeners to and say, okay, here's where you can learn how to do everything step by step. And you can ask me questions and, you know, here's all the tools that I use. So you can now use them too. And you can all do it. You can basically do it all yourself very, very easily. All right, so now that we've talked about fees, which is easily, like I said, one of the most important factors that impacts your returns, let's talk about another factor that will significantly impact your returns, and that is inflation, okay? Now, if you're new to all this, inflation is basically the general increase in prices that happens over time. So in other words, it's the decrease of the purchasing power of money that occurs over time. And, you know, a classic example of this is when you see the prices of goods from decades ago, like a bottle of, you know, Coca-Cola, let's say, you know, where you could buy it for pennies before, and now here in the present day, you know, it's over a dollar to basically buy that same amount of Coke. So it's basically something that happens over time, and it's something that you and I don't really have any control over. Now, unlike us, the Bank of Canada is able to actually influence inflation, and they definitely intervene to keep it at their desired rate, which is 2%. Now, historically, they've proven that they are able to keep it at around that 2% level. And so, you know, different shocks will happen to the economy, and they're basically able to enact different policies, you know, different sort of strategies to get to that, back to that 2% level. And, you know, since their goal is to keep it at the 2% level, I personally use this rate of 2% in all my calculations as sort of the expected inflation inflation rate in Canada for the foreseeable future. All right, so why is this important? Well, the answer is that let's say you buy the index of the Canadian stock market, which is historically has brought in a nominal return of around 8.9%. So while that sounds great, you have to factor in inflation, which is around 2%. So therefore, while your portfolio might have gone up 8.9%, your money is actually worth around 2% less than a year ago due to inflation. So therefore, you really only earned around 6.9% once we factor in that inflation. And that's basically called the real rate of return. Now, this is why other than your emergency fund, you should never really keep giant amounts of money in cash like this in your bank account because every year you can predict that you will actually lose around 2% of its value by having that cash just simply sitting there and not investing it. So in other words, if you're keeping money, let's say in a checking account where it's earning very, very little interest, then not only are you missing out on earning more money by investing it, but you're actually losing money by simply doing nothing because inflation is basically eroding away at the purchasing power of all that money in your account. Now, when I mentioned that the Canadian stock market has historically earned an average of 8.9% per year, then that is called the nominal rate of return. So this is basically the rate of return without taking into account inflation, okay? 
Now, the 6.9% that I mentioned earlier is basically taking that 8.9% expected return and subtracting the 2% inflation. And so this is called the real rate of return. So therefore, whenever you see rates of return, it's very important to know whether that number is a real or a nominal rate of return. So just remember, the real rate of return is already takes into account inflation. So inflation is already subtracted from that number versus a nominal rate of return doesn't factor in inflation at all. So you'll generally see you know, the nominal rate of return being higher than the real rate of return. You also want to make sure that when you're looking at real returns, that you're using expected Canadian inflation. So, for example, if you listen to U.S. investing shows, you'll often hear some experts use a conservative inflation number of around 3% in the U.S. Now, for Canada, though, the Bank of Canada has proven that they are able to keep inflation at around 2%. And so, while you can still use 3%, which is a somewhat conservative and inaccurate even, based on our inflation history as well, the reality is that our inflation is more likely to stick to 2% due to how high of a priority this is now for the Canadian government. All right, so this is just a little aside to keep in mind. And of course, a reminder that, you know, since we're in Canada, we have our own economy, we have our own policies. And so we can't just use the same numbers that we hear Americans using. If, for example, you're listening to an American personal finance podcast, or you're reading, you know, some American blogs or, Ameri or, or books written by American authors. Now, the inflation rate in Canada is constantly changing, but just to give you a range, if you're doing your own analysis and want to see how your investment portfolio is likely to perform under different inflation rates, then that range that I would use is between 1% and 3% based on historical numbers, okay? That basically, based on history, that's generally where you can expect the Canadian inflation to fall. And like I already mentioned before, if you want just one number to use, and I would basically just use the 2% inflation rate, as that is basically the goal of the Bank of Canada, and they have proven that, you know, that is their goal, that is their priority, and that they are able to influence things so that Canada can stay at around that 2% level. All right, now there's no guarantee, obviously, that it won't go higher or lower than this, but this is basically just the number and range that I personally use based on the multiple sources and past historical performance. All right, now let's get into looking at the historical returns of bonds and stocks from all over the world. All right, so to bring you these numbers and ranges, I basically resorted to three really good sources that have compiled these statistics for us in the form of reports and a book. Now, two of the three reports you can actually get for free. The sources basically publish these reports on their sites annually using the latest numbers, and you can get them all by going to the show notes at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 29. So just the number 29, okay? Now, the third source is an actual book on Amazon, and so I've included the link in the show notes for that too if you want to check it out. So buildwithcanada.ca slash 29 if you want to get the full reports for free, you know, with all the details directly from the sources, okay? Now, one important thing to keep in mind too is that past performance doesn't guarantee the exact same performance in the future. So if the average return, let's say over the past 30 years is let's say 7%, then that doesn't mean that next year you can expect to earn exactly 7%. And especially when it comes to investing in the stock market index, the returns for any particular year can really swing wildly. So just keep that in mind since you know it's not like buying a GIC or putting money in a savings account where you know that you're gonna get a specific percentage per year. So this is a really important concept to wrap your head around if your whole life you've just been using savings accounts or other very low-risk, low-return investments like GICs, for example. Since then, at that point, you're basically just used to seeing your money grow all the time. Whenever you know you put some money away, you're just used to it seeing increase and increase. So you're just not used to 
kind of what what actually happens in, in real life when you invest in markets, which is, you know, one month you might be positive, the next month you might be negative. And, you know, yes, over the long term, these returns are positive and they're nice, but just you, you're not used to sort of these day-to-day market fluctuations where you actually see your account go down on some days. All right, so that can really take some getting used to psychologically so that you don't get all emotional and start to panic the moment there's a minor short-term dip in the market. So just remember that you're doing this for the long term. And historically, the returns are good if you're willing to buy and hold instead of get caught up in the emotions of the day-to-day fluctuations of the market. So to help illustrate this, I'll give you a real-life example of when I first started investing. So, you know, when I first started off, I basically spent months just learning everything that I could about the subject, reading every top book on the subject, reading the top blogs and videos, to really just to get the different perspectives to make sure that I don't miss out on any of the best practices. You know, I mean, after all, you know, you're investing you know, a lot of real money. So you want to make sure you do it properly. So, you know, after spending countless hours actually studying the subject, I finally dived in and made my first investment. And now, you know, everything went smoothly, everything went as planned. But after a couple of months, my portfolio was down by a couple hundred dollars. So, you know, is this normal? Well, yes, you know, because the markets do fluctuate. So in those, you know, first few months, the portfolio could have gone up a few thousand dollars, it could have gone down a few thousand dollars, because, you know, a few months is really an extremely short amount of time when you're looking at sort of your whole sort of investment time horizon, okay? So, you know, these average numbers that I'm providing here is what these investments have done historically over the long term. And so I stress the word long term here, okay? So a few months is definitely not considered long term. Okay, so this is why you only invest money in the stock markets like this if you are willing and able to hold it long term. This isn't where you put money if you need it in a couple years for school or to buy a house, okay? You could invest in bonds arguably over the short term, but even those can fluctuate, you know, over the short term like during the 2008 financial crisis. So just remember that this isn't like putting money in a checking bank account where you'll only see it going up even though it's only really going up by a ridiculously small percentage and you're still likely losing money due to the 2% inflation, okay? but just, you know, keep that in mind, all right? So, you know, back to my story, you know, a few months in, I was down a few hundred, like I said, then several months after that, it was it was up by well over a thousand. Then a year later, it was down again due to a market correction that happened in Canada. So, you know, once again, the bottom line is that you shouldn't be sort of logging into your account to check your portfolio every day and get excited when the markets swing up and get nervous and angry when the markets slide down, okay? Just remember that this money that you're saving is for your retirement. You're not supposed to touch that money until you actually retire. And so the big assumption that is made when investing and, and you know, when you see these numbers is that you ha- you're investing the money for many years to actually get these returns, okay? So year over year, they could be up by thousands of dollars. They could be down by thousands of dollars. So it's really critical that you wrap your head around that so that you don't start kind of getting all emotional when markets go up or down as that's basically when the mistakes are made. Once you sort of let emotions get into it then then that's that's where you know you start you could start panic selling or you start just you know you just you just make mistakes so just really really you know keep that in mind and you just have to really wrap your head around kind of this different sort of um, paradigm shift you know if you're just used to investing or putting money in your checking or savings account your whole life okay Now, another analogy that I really like that I think illustrates this really well is that let's say, you know, we're in Canada, we have pretty cold winters. So let's say we want to go to Florida for vacation during the winter time. Okay. So, so, you know, what, what might you do? Well, you might check the average temperatures for December, you know, and, and I, I did that. So I went and I said, okay, well for December, the average temperature is 16 degrees Celsius or 61 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. So, you know, because let's say 16% Celsius is the average, you know, you're not going to bring snow boots and you're not going to bring a winter coat to 
Florida because the odds of the temperature getting that low where you'll actually need that is, is really, really low. But you also don't want to assume that just because 16 degrees Celsius is the average, you know, that that's exactly the temperature that's going to be the whole time that you're in Florida, right? That That's just not going to happen. It's just an average. All right, so because of that, you realize that, okay, on some days it might rain, so you bring a raincoat. It might get much colder than 16 degrees, and so maybe you want to bring an extra sweater or a light jacket just in case. And so that's the same kind of thing with investment, right? Is that you get these average numbers, which basically give you a ballpark of what you're likely to get in the long term based on historical performance. But of course, you realize that just like it might snow in Florida one day, you know, you might also have a market crash, you know, but over the long term, you know that it roughly the numbers are going to end up sort of in in that ballpark in that average range, okay? All right, so let's look at what you can expect as far as bonds and stocks go across the world. Now, keep in mind that, you know, depending on how you pull the data, you'll get pretty different numbers. So, you know, if you decide to sort of do this sort of research yourself. So, for example, you know, I'll give you some returns that go all the way back to the 1900s and others that go back at least 50 years. So, you know, one of the reasons being that why we look sort of at some more, more recent time frames as well, like last 50 years instead of the 100, is that we sort of get more, a lot of people argue that you get more reliable stats if we don't go as far back as the 1900s. Also, remember that when we're looking at real returns, that that factors in inflation. And so those numbers will be different for you depending on what inflation rate you decide to use. Okay. So for example, you know, when you're looking at the real rate of return, are you going more with the long-term historical average of Canada, which is around 3%? Or do you believe that the Bank of Canada will continue to be able to keep our inflation at 2%? So, you know, that's just something to keep in mind, especially when you're working with sort of historical real returns number. What 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 is that inflation rate that's being used? And if you're looking at nominal rates of return, well, you know, what inflation rate do you want to assume? Are you going to assume 2%? Are you going to assume 3%? Or something else sort of between that 1% to 3% range? All right, so I just really want you to keep that in mind just so that you sort of set the right expectations for yourself, okay? All right, so I'm going to read these off to you. And I totally realize that if you're listening to this, let's say, you know, on audio while you're driving, it's hard to kind of remember all this and, you know, write it down. So I will have it on the website for sure. So you can sort of see the ranges. You can see the final number that I suggest as well. All right. So, you know, don't worry, but this is just for your information and you can go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash 29. So just the number 29. And you can basically see, you know, like a screenshot of these different ranges and these different numbers so that you can sort of get a nice summary and then see everything that way. Okay. All right, so let's start with the Canadian stock market. So the Canadian equities, you know, for investing in the Canadian stock market, for buying an index, let's say, you know, what what can you expect based on perf uh, historical performance? Okay, so we'll start off with the nominal rate of return first. Okay, so the nominal rate, which is basically not taking into account inflation. So the range that you'll generally see if you pull the stats is you'll see be between eight point six percent and nine point one percent. Okay, that's kind of where you can expect your returns to lie on average over the long term. And if you're just looking to use one number, then the number I would use is 8.9%. And sort of the final single kind of recommended number that I, that I use is actually what PWL published in their annual report. So they have a really good report and it's in the show notes. And if you've listened to a previous episode uh, with Sandy Martin, she mentioned it as well. Uh, you know, it's something that they publish on an annual basis and they actually, they do a really, really good job. They look at, you know, several different factors, different measures. It, you know, I, I really like it. They explain it really well in the report as well. And it's specifically for kind of for Canada as well. I mean, they are, you know, they are Canada. So they factor in some of these different things like, you know, Canadian inflation specifically. So, you know, that's kind of that final number. And, and you know, so big 
kind of a big thank you to them, a big shout out to them for doing such a great job on that. Uh, and so, you know, when I give you these sort of these final numbers that I use, if you're not looking to do a range, then then that's basically where that's coming from. Okay. And, and once again, like I said, I'll, I'll link to that report in the show notes so you can always sort of get their annual, uh, their latest annual report there too. Okay. So like I said, Canadian equities, we're looking at between 8.6 and 9.1% in terms of nominal returns. And if you're just looking to use one member, then 8.9% is the one that's kind of a safe one to use. All right, now if we're looking at real rates of return, so we're factoring inflation and different sort of inflation assumptions, then the range that you generally get is between 5.60% and 7.30%, okay? And if you're looking to just get one number, then basically I would use 7.10% as the real rate of return that you can expect sort of based on historical performance for Canadian equities, so the Canadian stock market. Now, since we're talking about Canada, let's talk about Canadian bonds, okay? So if you're looking at bonds, if we're looking at nominal returns for Canadian bonds, you'll see the ranges generally fall between 3.80% and 6.30%. So if you're looking at sort of one number that you just want to use, then I would use the number 5.10%. And if we're looking at real returns, the ranges that I've seen from the different sources fall between the 2% range and the 4.5% range for the real return. So in total, you know, if, we're looking, if you're looking just for one number as a real return, you can use 3.30%. All right, now let's look at U.S. equities. So if we're looking at a nominal return for U.S. equities, so you're buying you know, the U.S. stock market, we're not factoring inflation in yet, then generally what you'll see, if you look at different sources, you'll see the range fall between 7.60% and 9.40%, okay? And if you're looking at just one number, it will be 8.10% is what I would use kind of in my you know spreadsheets and my forecast for a nominal rate of return, okay? If we're looking at real rates of return, it would fall, I've seen it fall between 580 and 6.80%, okay, for the US market. And if you're using one, if you just want to use one number, 6.30% is what I would use sort of for the expected annual return when you're investing in the US market. All right, we've got two more to go, which is the international developed stock markets and the emerging markets as well. So as far as the developed international developed markets go, so this is, for example, a lot of countries in Europe, you know, would fall into this category. The range that I've seen there is between 8.60% and 9.30% for a nominal return. And if you're looking for sort of just one member, then 9% is the one that you could use, okay? For real rates of return, so factoring in inflation, the ranges I've seen are 6.80% to 7.50%. And if you're looking for just one number, it's 7.20%. And finally, last, but not least, we've got the emerging markets. So something like, you know, India, China, for example, this is where they fall in. So if we're looking at nominal returns there, the range I've seen there is 9.60% to 13.50%. And if you're using just one member, I would use 11.60%. And if we're looking at real returns, I'll say it's seven point, I've seen it fall between 7.80% to 11.70%. And if you're using just one member for real returns, I would use 9.80%. So that's basically the summary. I know it's a bit uh, tougher to, uh, you know, maybe sort of, uh, you know, if you're hearing it over audio, if you're driving, let's say, you know, it's a bit tough kind of to see it all. So, you know, like I said, I'll I'll definitely put it on the site so you can kind of see these ranges. Uh, Like I said, it basically 
looks at sort of all the different sources that I have. And I basically given the range, you know, based on all these different sources, you know, they each kind of have sort of their own assumptions, things like that. So that's why you sort of, I'm giving you a kind of a nice range and I'm giving you sort of one final number that you can just plug in as well. So, you know, you can run different scenarios if you're sort of a spreadsheet person like, you know, like me, right? Or, uh, you know, totally up to you, but that should definitely give you sort of a good gauge and, and sort of help set your expectations a bit as to what you can expect the markets to deliver. And just, just remember, of course, to take into account the fees as, you know, those can have an, an enormous impact uh, on your returns, right? I mean, if you're getting, you know, like let's say 5.10% real rate of return and then and someone's taking two and a half percent of that. I mean, you know, that's like almost half your return, right? So that's it's pretty bad. So just you know, keep that in mind, okay? All right, so that's it for the show this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll have part two coming up as well. So where we're talking about standard deviation as well, you know, because there's other things that we have to also consider and think about, you know, when we're looking at returns. But, you know, this is definitely, I think, a good starting point. You get a good general idea as to what you can expect based on historical performance, based on different sources. And then, like I said, just, you know, remember about those fees because those are going to uh, destroy your returns probably more than anything else. And and that's it. So, yeah, if, uh, like I said, the course is ready. I'm I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's, you know, it's over four hours of, of actual you know, video training content that I've been uh, working on like crazy. So, you know, thanks for your patience and, and you know, because I've been working on that. So I haven't been publishing the episodes as quickly because of that. Uh, so, you know, so thanks for your patience on that. And like I said, if you want to learn, you know, how to prop, how I personally do it, how I invest, how I keep the fees as low as possible, how I keep things tax efficient and all of that, uh, you can basically try the entire course, the entire guide risk-free, and you can learn more about it by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash invest. So that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash invest. All right. So have a wonderful week and I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.